The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, we told you that this young man was coming into the Pacific Northwest, and what a way to start out here in the Northwest with a win over the crusher, Stan the Man Stasiak. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Ellering. You know, Dutch, <laughs> everywhere I go, the people, they all want to know. They say, who is this man? Who is this man with the body of a Greek guy? Who is this man that has the eye of a tiger? Who is this man that is the desire of every lady that has never lived on this green earth? <laughs> and I say I am precious Paul, the living doll, the master of disaster, the master blaster. <laughs> And from 8 to 80, Precious drives him crazy. <laughs> now I wear tassels on my feet, and my hair is always neat. I'm so lean in the waist, and as you can tell, I am so pretty in the face. But mark my words, this body writes no checks. It cannot cash. In the annals of history, I have been a world champion. I have held a world record in weightlifting, and I back up from no man. No man on this earth. And least you forget that I am the best thing 
to ever happen to the great Northwest. Look at this body. I can't believe it myself. Whoa! Look at this body. Pure, unadulterated power. Power. Need I say more? I could just come out here and just stand and pose. Nothing more need be said. <clears throat> well, rather poetic individual with a 20-inch arm. I guess he can say just about anything he wants to. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back afterward from my friend and yours, Tom Peterson. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the feature episode of part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. I am, of course, your host, J.P. John Paz, and on the Pazcast today is none other than the WWE Hall of Famer class of 2011, easily one of the greatest managers in the history of professional wrestling, Precious Paul, yes, Paul Ellering, joins the show today, and we are promoting a huge show on Saturday, August 22nd for Gimmick Tree. Yes, it'll be available on Facebook Live. It is going to be a huge, huge virtual signing. I highly recommend you heading on over to Gimmick Tree on Facebook and check out all the information that they've got going on. It is crazy because it's going to be a 24-hour auction. Not only will Precious Paul be there, but Road Warrior Animal is going to be there as well. It's just awesome. It is going to be an Iron Man auction. Like I said, the start time is 6.05 Eastern on Saturday, August 22nd, this Saturday. And that is going to be on Gimmick Tree on Facebook Live. Great stuff. Very cool stuff. And speaking of some cool stuff, this interview had some great stuff in it. Of course, we are going to focus in on him as a manager of the Legion of Doom, a.k.a. the Road Warriors. We're going to talk about the time in the NWA, the AWA, All Japan Pro Wrestling, the WWF, and everywhere in between. There's just so much kind of to cover and so much ground to you know, really kind of cover here. And there's just a lot to talk about. So just quickly going to run through some of the stuff. The WWF, when the Road Warriors debut, he's not with them. What happened? Obviously, he's still in the NWA slash WCW at that point. And we talk about his contract and things like that. And then we talk about his debut in 1992 around WrestleMania 8. And that kind of really culminating in the return of what everybody knows to be the, the Legion of Doom and a.k.a. the Road Warriors. We talk about the Rocco gimmick, the, the dummy gimmick. Was it a bad gimmick? Was it a good thought, bad thought? And how he kind of equates it to Bray Wyatt and him using the puppets and those kind of gimmicks in, in today's wrestling. So that is some good stuff. And, of course, we do touch upon his time as an in-ring wrestler, the injury that kind of ended his career for the most part. As far as in-ring competition, we talk about his daughter, Rachel Ellering, and what she did in NXT and is currently doing in AEW. We, of course, go even further into the chemistry with Hawk and Animal, him being their manager not only on-screen but off-screen and really kind of helping them out. And really the, the great friendship that they've had through so many years, culminating in the big Hall of Fame ceremony in 2011. We do cover, of course, the passing of Road Warrior Hawk and what that kind of meant to him being basically a family member to Hawk and obviously with Animal as well for all these years. So we do cover that, and, and we will also talk about AWA breaking in under Vern Gagne. So 
you know, there's just it's kind of a lot to divulge. I want to kind of keep going with it, but definitely um, going to hit on the war games and talk about JCP a little bit with the, the Four Horsemen and the Road Warriors and that big feud. So before I send it on over to the interview, I just want to also mention the other show as a part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. You could check us out on the Triple Threat Podcast over on Vince Russo's The Brand. That is Shane Douglas's show that we co-host. Of course, there's also the University. University of Dutch with Dutch Mantel. There is Taskmaster Talks with Kevin Sullivan, there, which is available on the Creative Control Network. Then, of course, there is Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard, which is available on the TMPT feed, our feed. There is, of course, also Just Incredibles Pro Wrestling 101, which we just started a few weeks ago, which is available on Vince Russo's Pyro and Ballyhoo YouTube channel. Check that out on there. And last but certainly not least, Rick Bassman's Talking Tough, which is available on Podcast One. There is so much going on in the world of TMPT. I highly encourage you to head on over to tmptempire.com and check the latest and greatest and see what we're up to. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. So, without any further ado, going to send it on over to a great interview with an absolute legend, a WWE Hall of Famer, and one of the greatest managers of all time, Precious Paul, Paul Ellering. Joining us on the line right now is a former AWA Southern Heavyweight Champion, one of the greatest managers ever in the history of the business. He is, of course, a former, actually current, WWE Hall of Famer, class of 2011. He is, of course, Precious Paul. Paul Ellering, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, talk to old people in the, in the land of uh, Three Rivers. Nice. Now, right now, of course, we're going to be talking about a big show you got going on, 822 with Gimmick Tree, and it's going to be a big signing, a virtual signing, 6.05 Saturday, 822, and you can check out Gimmick Tree Entertainment and Gimmick Tree Promotions on Facebook, and it'll be going on Facebook Live. What do you think about doing this big signing coming up on Saturday with your old buddy, Road Warrior Animal? 
Well, I look forward to it. Anytime uh, we can get together, it's it's a great thing. I, I got I saw him a couple of weeks ago when his daughter got married, and and this will be another uh, great day because uh, uh, on Saturday, the twenty second, it's also my birthday. So uh, it'll be kind of fun. Oh, happy birthday! Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. Yep. Oh, it's awesome to see that you guys are still very close. You know, after all these years, that you know you're still going to weddings and and still thankful. That is very very cool to maintain that relationship for such a long period of time. Well, you know, when you're on the road with wrestling and stuff, uh, especially with uh, Hawk when he was with us, uh, you become like a family because you're you're actually with each other more than you are with your real family. And uh, you know, we did that for twenty odd years and. And uh, so we've we've always stayed very close. As far as this virtual signing, I'm not sure if, if you're that familiar with these virtual signings, but it's really been the craze as of late. And obviously, uh, Charlie and Gimmickry has kind of been dominating with this and, and doing these virtual signings. It is so cool because the fans, it's like they are actually there with you, but not physically with you. So they'll be watching you and, and being able to communicate with you, and you'll be able to communicate with them. And, you, you know, you can personalize signatures and do all this stuff. But are you that familiar with this virtual signing? Because it's really a cool kind of fan experience that uh, I didn't see coming. Well, uh it is interesting, and uh, it'll be my first one, so I'll I'll uh, I'll be learning a lot as I as I go along here. But you know, uh, with so much of uh, the stuff that's happened in our society with this COVID deal, some things have really uh, flourished, and I, this is one of them. And uh, I was just watching the Business Channel and Apple stock. The, Apple became the first company to hit a value of uh, $2 trillion just about five minutes ago. And, it, you know, it's just a, another uh, facet of uh, how some things have done well and some things have uh, not done well. That is crazy. So you're yeah. still kind of keeping up with uh, the business. You still get the Wall Street Journal. You're still, you know, paying attention to the business world. Yeah, but everything's on the internet now. <laughs> uh, when I go through an airport, though, then I'll pick up a Wall Street Journal, and uh, it brings back a lot of great memories. But I, I do maintain a, a very active schedule with the markets. I get up at uh, three o'clock in the morning because that's that's when England opens up. And, you know, it, it, the markets are twenty-four hours now. They, they just go. You know, it starts in. Uh, Australia, and then it just keeps going. And uh, England opens up at 5, and right now I'm watching uh, the green markets here. Uh, so you still are, you know, into that, still keeping up with that. What was, like, kind of your passion for that? Because obviously, you know, we everyone used to know you used to carry around the, the Wall Street Journal, the physical copy, but kind of what got you so into the, the stock market and, and really the, the world stock market? Well, it, it was a family business. My family... Uh, was involved in agriculture and uh, they owned uh, grain elevators and uh, hog farms and turkey farms. And, and so I just grew up with it and the markets were always a way to hedge, you know, uh, either long or short uh, and depending on hogs or corn or soybeans, whatever you want. And uh, so I grew up with it and then, 
I went to college at South Dakota State and majored in agriculture and uh, and kept up with it since then. Now, it's such interesting with you is everyone says manager, manager, precious Paul Eller, and they always think about you as a manager. I think a lot of people forget that you were a wrestler for so oh, many yes. years. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I wrestled, do you ever get uh, that? Oh, yeah. I think I, about six years on my own, and then uh, then I started managing. And uh, it was a good run. I had a good six years, but I suffered uh, two patella tendon ruptures in my left knee. And uh, that sort of, uh, you know, it set me back a couple of years because uh, the first first time I was out nine months, and then uh, I blew the same knee out again, and then I was out for a year. So that was two years, and uh, it just happened to be that the same guy that brought brought the Road Warriors in, Ole Anderson, he calls me up out of the blue and says, uh, "Are you ready to get back to work?" And I said, "Yeah, I guess I am." So so I went to TBS at that time, Atlanta, and uh, and got in the ring and was moving around, sort of favored it a little bit. And he said, you know, we'll just uh, maybe, uh, you know, go slow on it. And, uh, you know, because he didn't want it to tear again. And uh, I didn't either. And he says, you know, you're really good on the mic. You ever think about managing? And I said, well, you know, that's kind of kind of a funny thing because I had a premonition dream one time that I was a manager. And I told him that. And he says, uh, well, let's give it a try. And, and then the, the rest became history. We started, uh, we built up the Legion of Doom, and that included Jake Roberts at that time and the Spoiler and the Road Warriors. And then I managed uh, Buzz Sawyer, and and, uh, and then the, the rest became history. Uh, split off with the Road Warriors, and, and we went on our own, and, uh, became the only tag team in the history of the sport that uh, held all four belts, not at the same time, but at one time. Uh, they held the NWA titles, the AWA, uh, WWE now, and uh, and then the All Japan uh, titles. And we were the, the first team uh, that got to uh, take the titles out of Japan and uh, and them wherever we went in the states here as Japanese champions. When did you kind of realize, and maybe Oli kind of realized it, like, damn, this guy is smooth on the mic. He's such a great talker. Did you always kind of have that, like, gift for gab? No, you work at it. You know, it's like anything you practice. And uh, and I would always write. And I would read a lot. I love to read, and, and uh, that's one of the things about wrestling is you got so much downtime, you can you can become a very avid reader. So I would read books all the time. If, and if there was a good line or uh, you know a, a, a anecdote or something like that, then I, I would write it down. I got books and tablets and boxes full of stuff where I would just uh, pick up on something that I liked, and I said, oh, I'm going to use that in the interview. And then when the time came, uh, you know, it just pop up, and there would be. With you and the Road Warriors, you're saying, you know, obviously one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tag team of all time, really 
like you said, held, holding those four major titles to the WWF, AWN, NWA, and of course, All Japan Pro Wrestling. But you were yeah. actually their real life manager, right? I mean, you were handling other things other than just on screen? Yeah, well, you see, all that came about uh, because of the transformation of, of cable TV. Once cable TV started to spread across the country, it changed the whole dynamics of, of wrestling. Because uh, small territories, uh, while they were vibrant, uh, as long as they had their local TVs, once cable came into town, then people could, could uh, compare products, their local wrestling or TBS. And TBS became uh, very popular, uh, and it was all because of cable TV. And that just happened to be the time that uh, Animal and Hawk came along, and uh, and and uh, it was sort of like uh, like Elvis or the Beatles, you know. It's something that comes along once in every every generation, and uh, and it didn't wrestling at that time, and they changed the sport. It just completely changed overnight. It went from the old school, which I grew up in and I had been a part of, uh, into this new uh, slam-bam, in-your-face type stuff, and and uh, Animal and Hawk just changed the whole sport. So they actually, I mean, they were getting obviously booked everywhere, so they would probably need help booking flights and obviously maybe even booking the matches, uh, hotels, expensive, uh, all that kind of stuff. Right? I mean, their flight, I mean, they're going to really kind of uh, need all this help booking because they're getting so busy and so popular. Well, as long as you stayed with a one company, then they would take care of that. But what I first saw, because I, I saw what cable TV was doing and the power it had, and it created, uh, um, what's the word? It created a... Uh, mm, an attraction. They became an, an attraction like uh, Andre the Giant. You know, he was an, mm-hmm. an attraction. And, and, and Vince at that time, senior and, and junior, they would move, move uh, Andre all over the country so he would never get burned out. And he, he would go into a territory when there were lots of territories, and he would stay for a month, and then he would leave. And I, th- I thought, you know, the road warriors became so powerful and such an image that they became an a- a- attraction like Andre. And I said, I said to the guys, I said, you know, this is so big. We can, we can hotshot the whole country, work for everybody, and, and then keep Japan in our back pocket. And that's basically what we did. Uh, we we just worked for everybody. We would go to Texas and work for the Von Erich, and we'd go up to Portland and work for uh, uh, Don Don Owens. And the only one we didn't work for was a WWF at that time because they wouldn't do that. But the NWA did, the AWA did it, uh, and Canada did it. Montreal, we just went everywhere. And hot shot it. 
One of the things that's so interesting with the Road Warriors, and tell me if this is like surprising or not, but the Road Warrior pop and the reaction that the Road Warriors would get everywhere they went, it was just insane. And they still, you know, coin that term today when somebody gets a lot of pop, they always call it Road Warrior pop. Is that something yeah. that surprised you at all, or, or were you kind of like living in the moment, didn't notice it? Like, what were your thoughts on that Road Warrior pop? Well, it was huge. And, and everybody would uh, comment on it, and, you know, or if they, if they got a big pop, then they'd come back and say, well, I got a Road Warrior pop. But uh, it was, the, it was a, the total package. You know, the music was just right, the music Iron Man. And then the movie, uh, The Road Warrior, came along, uh, Mad Max, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they took some stuff from that. And uh, the guys were, uh, they were monsters, you know, they, and they had the, the charisma to, to pull the whole thing off. And, and that's what it takes. Because there's a lot of big guys out there, but uh, but maybe they can't talk or you know, they're not good on the mic or anything. It can be a number of things. But but the guys had everything. They had the look. They had the ability to talk and, and do interviews. And then they they had the, uh, the look that gets the look, you know, the, the face paint and the hair. And it was, uh, it was an unbelievable persona. So great. What was the yeah. chemistry like with you guys? Because it seemed like on screen, it just you know it just came through. It was like, man, these guys, they mesh so well together. What was the chemistry like both in and out of the ring for you guys? Well, it was very, very good. Uh, all three of us are from uh, Minnesota, you know, uh, so we had that in common. But uh, none of us were uh, – was ever selfish, you know, that they, they needed to be in front all the time or anything. You know, we just never operated that way. And um, it, it was, we, we became like three musketeers, one for all and all for one. And, and the guys would let me do the business and, and, and make the deals and, and they would do their thing in the ring. And, and uh, it, it was a heck of a run. It, it was really something very special. You mentioned the WWF, and obviously, you know, you guys were in the AWA, NWA, and you kind of went all around and did your thing. But WWF didn't want, you know, they wanted the, the Road Warriors, they wanted the Legion of Doom by themselves. When they eventually do jump in, in about 1990 to the WWF without you, was that something that was like an unexpected plan? Did you want to jump with them and Vince didn't want you? How come you didn't kind of jump on board with them at first? No, I, I was all on board with them. The only the only thing I uh, that's uh, my my thinking at that time was I I've dealt with all these promoters from Puerto Rico to Japan, you know, to Montreal to Texas, you know, you name it, and every one of these promoters uh, would make a deal with me, and my word was always my word. It was a bond. It was something that uh, we were going to fulfill fulfill, and uh, and they could they could trust me that we would be there you know and uh, our deal was our deal so we had about six months left on the contract and the the guys wanted to go go to uh, go to New York 
and and I I was all I was all on board for it. I just didn't want to back out of the contract that I had signed. So I told the guys, I said, you go ahead and I'm going to finish out my contract because I signed this contract and that was my word. That was my bond. And uh, I didn't want to walk away from it. So that that's why I stayed. And, and then I came came in later. Oh, okay. So you were still signed to NWA slash WCW right. at that point? Yep. When you were feuding with Teddy Long, pretty much, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Hair, hair yeah, for hair, yeah. right? Yeah, the hair versus yeah. hair. He shaved his head, yep. Yeah, I shaved Teddy's head. <laughs> Fond memory right there? Because I remember that pretty damn well. I think it was Capital Combat, uh, the 1990 pay-per-view. Yeah. Yeah, that was all, you know, it was all good. It goes by so fast. It's amazing, you know. Uh, every 10 years is, is like a chapter of, of your life in a book. And... uh it went by too fast. And, you, you know, once in a while you wake up and you're just so tired and, you know, you're sick of airports and sick of noise, you know, the loudness of everything. And, and uh, you know, when, when, when it's not there, then, then all of a sudden you go, God, that was really special. That was, that was kind of neat. Absolutely. Now, as far as them being not the Road Warriors and being Legion of Doom in the WWF when they debut, is that because Vince wanted to have, you know, like he always says, he wants to, like, control the name? and Or was it because there was the Ultimate Warrior and, and you know, you had Kerry Von Erich, who was the modern-day war? Did he not want too many Warriors? What's the true story behind them being the Legion of Doom instead of just the Road Warriors? Well, they were the Road Warriors before uh, the Ultimate Warrior and before right. yeah. Kerry Von Erich. I mean, everybody came became a warrior, and uh, you know there was a lot of copycat stuff. And of course, that's the nature of the business. But uh, it, uh, the Legion of Doom thing was purely a business deal, and you know Vince he wanted to be able to trademark the Road Warriors, but the guys had already done that, so Vince couldn't couldn't have that. So Hawk just off the cuff said, well, we, uh, how about Legion of Doom? And Vince, Vince says, yeah, that, that's good. And so he went with Legion of Doom, and, and then he could trademark that. And if you think about, like, the chants and stuff, you know, L-O-D, L-O-D, we would become very synonymous and very popular, which is probably in the back of his mind, too. That's a great yeah. uh, marketing ploy. And obviously, you know, making the shoulder pads for the kids, I mean, they uh, they were uh, you know Vince is a marketing genius, but the LOD, the Road Warriors, the character you guys who you guys created, complete marketing genius. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like I say, it was perfect. <laughs> it was like the perfect storm. It just uh, came together and got big, 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 bigger and big, bit biggest, you know. When you make your debut, basically, you know, '92 ish in, in WWF, and you show up, uh, you know, WrestleMania eight and everything, and you're there. Is that kind of all a part of the plan? Eventually, they always wanted to kind of bring you in. Well, it was in the back of everybody's mind. It was just a matter of when, and you know, Vince he picked that time, and that was a good time, and and uh, it, 
it was it was always there. It was always on the table. It was a piece that just needed to be played, and that's where it worked. What did you think about the Rocco character? I was always very curious to that because to me, it's like okay, they definitely don't need this. It doesn't really fit in with the mm-hmm. you know the crazy big wild character. It doesn't really fit in with you. What did you think about Rocco at that point? You know, I, I thought it was a, a great concept. It, it's just that uh, there wasn't enough uh, creative to give it what it needed grow, you know, in the creative department. But I, I love the concept. Look at, uh, uh, what's his name? The Firefly guy. Oh, uh, uh, Bray Wyatt. Uh, Bray Wyatt, yeah. You know, uh, they did all that kind of stuff with, with a uh, dummy like that. And, but it has to be that kind of a development. And, uh, you know, you had all those Chucky movies at that time, and and uh, it, it just didn't grow. Yeah, it almost started with maybe... I love the concept. You know, you can do a lot with it. Oh, yeah. I always just thought, yeah. like, that might be too cartoony for the Road Warriors, because you know, they're so serious and they're such ass-kickers. Um, was that trying to humanize them, maybe, a little bit? Well, that was that was sort of the thinking. You know, for uh, because everybody was so interested in selling merchandise, you know that uh, that was to be a softener. You know, to where they it would humanize them. So you know, fast forward a couple of years, and you're actually you know skipping over. Obviously, you would team with them a little bit against the Genius and the Beverly Brothers. But even skipping forward maybe to, like, 97, when they have the DOA, the Disciples of Apocalypse, and they have that faction, Skull and 8-Ball, and you're going to be, with them, feuding against the World Wars. Was that kind of a different, weird kind of thing for you? Did, did you enjoy that, or do you think that uh, it's not really right, the right fit? Well, you know, uh, there was nothing happening at that time. And so that was, it was a good, a good angle. For for us at that time, but, but I always knew I was going to get back with Animal and Hawk. It was just a matter of how long uh, we go with this storyline type deal, and and so it it probably lasted six months or so. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the uh, DOA they were good guys. You know, I I enjoyed being around them, and but uh, Animal and Hawk, you know. We were like family. It was just uh, something that needs to be done. You know, families have arguments all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. So it just, it's, it's what it was at that time. I always think it's great for, you know, WWE to, to recognize the legends and, and, you know, obviously with the Hall of Fame, that's a great way to do it. And I thought it was, just thought it was great that you were a part of the, the induction, obviously with um, Hawk having passed and, and many years kind of going by. But I just love that you're included in, in the WB Hall of Fame induction. What did that mean to you being in the WB Hall of Fame class of 2011? Well, it's a tremendous honor, you know. It's a recognition for what you've done and, and uh, uh, it's an elite class. Uh, it means a lot, you know. I'm I'm proud to 
wear the ring every time I wear it, and uh, it's you know it'll always be there. You know, anytime you can look back on history and 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 have your name written there, and it'll never go away. That's that's pretty special. Pretty cool to be inducted by Dusty as well. Obviously, the only you know sad part is. Hawk would not be able to to be there with you in the induction. Was that very, very hard for you because how close you guys were, the the passing of Hawk? And, and, you know, really, you know, like you said, it was basically a family member passing away. Yeah, it was was hard on, you know, Animal as well as me and anybody that knew Hawk. You know, it was hard on everybody. Uh, He was such a vibrant person and... uh, so much fun to be around. Uh, you know, I miss them all the time. The Road Warriors are definitely known, you know, being wild and, and crazy, um, you know, and, and just the gimmick itself. But they were truly, you know, larger than life, if you really think about it. I mean, the shoulder pads, the look, their physiques, they were truly uh, larger than life. So you being associated with them, really kind of, you know, puts you larger in life and, and makes you very important and vital to the team. So that's why I think when NXT comes around and, and Triple H brings you in, instant credibility when you were there with the Authors of Pain, instant credibility to get them over. Did you kind of enjoy him kind of bringing you in? And what did you think about being brought into NXT at that point? Well, of course, I didn't expect that. You know, and all, all of a sudden out of the blue, you get a phone call. <laughs> And they run run the uh, scenario by me, and I go, and they ask, you know, are you interested? And I go, well, I, you know, I got to think about it. And uh, they said, well, why don't you fly down here to Orlando, and and, uh, and we'll just sit down and talk about it. So that's that's the way it, the way it happened. And uh, after I met uh, Reza and Aikum, uh the authors of Pain. Uh, then I knew I wanted to do it because they are two terrific young men, uh, just the best of the best. And uh, so I wanted to do them, to do it to, to help them. And uh, so we, we did that. And we had a good run, two years, and, and, uh, and, and then that's where that went. But it was fun. I really enjoyed being around all the young people there. Uh, you know, anytime you can be around young people, it's good for you. And uh, so I would fly down for TV and and uh, maybe an extra date to do interviews and and then fly back. So I never had to be on the road, but uh, I made all the TVs and then all the pay-per-views. And, and it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Very cool. And is that something like maybe Triple H, I guess, is making that call and he's bringing in because he's a very old school guy. Yeah. Yeah. It was all triple H. Yeah. And the great two year run, but also, you know, their NXT tag team champions, like you said, the TVs, the pay-per-views, they were pushed. And I think it was, you know, with your credibility of being their manager kind of puts them over the top. I mean, they could be good and they could have that good look and everything, but with you kind of as their manager, I feel like it puts the team over the top, right? Well, that was the whole idea. So, um, you know, they had the right idea. <laughs> Cause yeah. It worked. Yeah. So what kind of led to the, the end there? You just were like, oh, okay, you know, the run is over. You know, it's time to um, 
not hang them up, you know, but basically, you know, or, you know, the end of the duties, was there any kind of talk about maybe going on the road on Raw, or you definitely didn't want to do the road thing anymore? No, I didn't mind going on the road. I, I enjoy going on the road. That had nothing to do with it. It was just the end of the run, and that was that was the end of the storyline, basically? At that point. The idea was uh, to bring me back in, but then this corona stuff came up. And, you know, and then the guys got hurt, uh, mm-hmm. so they were, they were out a while. And uh, so everything got put on the back shelf, and I don't know where it sits now. A WB Legends contractor. I mean, is there still a good uh, relationship there with WB? Oh, yes. Yeah, very, very good. I got to mention, of course, your daughter who was in NXT and now is a part of uh, AEW. How do you feel about your daughter, Rachel, following in the footsteps and getting into the wrestling business? Is that something that you wanted or maybe didn't want? Well, you know, as a father, you always uh, feel a little trepidation and uh, hope and all that stuff. But Rachel's very talented, very smart, and... uh, uh, it's once it once you get get through being dad, then uh, you see a lot of talent, and uh, and she'll do very well. It's just a corona thing is throwing everything off, and and then uh, she had a knee injury, which you know uh, I can kind of relate to. So fact that life goes on, but. Uh, you know, uh, Rachel, she'll be she'll be tremendous at whatever she does because she is uh, such a good talker and very athletic, and uh, I I just uh, don't want her to get hurt and all that mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, and I feel like you know she takes in your footsteps not only wrestling but she did some powerlifting too, which you were uh, did before the wrestling business. So. She's definitely following in your footsteps and, and a lot of the things that she's been doing. Yes, that's true. Yeah, she does. A, she placed third in the world in powerlifting. Oh, okay. wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, she went to the world uh, meet that year was in uh, South Africa. So she represented uh, the United States that year. Wow, awesome. And you held some records too, right, with uh, powerlifting? Yeah, I was a world record holder in the deadlift. Uh, it was in 1976 in the 220-pound class. I deadlifted uh, 400, uh, no, 746 and one quarter pound. Wow! And they think. Yeah, of- and then I, I was a national champion and a national collegiate champion in powerlifting. Well, we, like everyone, me included, of course, we always think of the Road Warriors as like these big, enormous, you know, they're benching, they're, they're powerlifting. But you may be just as strong, but you may may not look like you. You may just be as strong as those guys. Yeah, well, they weigh, weighed a lot more. You know, Ammo was 315. Hawk was always about 275, 280. I did all my lifting at, at 220. That was wow, that's week, damn week impressive. Wow. Yeah. Damn, very impressive. Well, as we yeah. hit the wind down, we head towards the finish. One, of course, mentioning again the, the virtual signing, 822 this Saturday at 605 
check out Gimmick Tree on Facebook. You could also check them out on Twitter at Gimmick Tree Entertainment. So they just got a lot of uh, cool things going on. This virtual signing is, is very, very cool. But just want to ask you, do you have some favorite moments when you were with the, the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, if you will? Do you have some favorite moments that you had with them as far as on screen and maybe even off screen? Oh, well, you know, all the accomplishments are to be noted. Um, there were so many. But I, I would say the, the favorite moments were just the three of us riding in a car and, you know, just learning about each other and, and uh, it, family. You know, it's, it's like sitting down at the table and eating supper together and, uh, you know, the closeness, the bond, the, you know, the, you know, the, uh, we were all in this together and the commitment and, you know, that we took care of ourselves and, and uh, everybody did their best. And so, you know, those things. Now, as far as matches, do you have some favorite matches or maybe favorite some opponents? I know we were talking so much about the, the managerial stuff, but, I mean, you did wrestle, obviously. You know, we talked about Georgia, Mid-South, uh, Florida, AWA, of course, um, down in Memphis uh, for, the, uh, for the CWA, former, like I mentioned, AWA Southern Heavyweight Champion, so, you know, feuding with Jimmy Valiant and Ventura and Lawler and all these guys. Do you have some favorite matches or opponents in your career? Well, uh, the early years, uh, my second year in wrestling, uh, I came back to Minnesota, and uh, then I started that feud with Jesse Ventura. And that was mm-hmm. the first feud I ever had. Otherwise, I, I was just generically on the card, you know. Uh, but So that was the first time I had purpose. <laughs> and that's always fun because uh, now, now you're doing something that means something. You know, you, you do the interviews and... and uh, so we had we had a good run. That was my first feud with uh, Jesse. That lasted about a year. And then when I went to Memphis, of course, working with uh, Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and Jimmy Hart was there. He was my manager, and uh, that was good because uh, now I was a champion, and uh, so you know that that means you're doing you're doing something right. And then, uh, then from there, uh, uh, getting together with the guys in '83, um, and, and then how that blossomed and grew into something that was bigger, bigger than life. Uh, it, you know, all you can do is thank the good Lord for, uh, you know, giving you that uh, luck, you know, and then making it work. Uh, that's the deal. You know, a lot of people are lucky, but uh, if you can't carry the ball, then they ain't going to give it to you. So we worked hard at it. We worked hard at everything, and uh, and we became the best. As far as kind of like the, the lasting legacy or, or the stamp left behind by you and the Road Warriors, what would you kind of say it is? You know, when, when the book is closed and people, like, look back, what do you think is, like, the, the legacy of, of the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering? Well, I would say that uh, uh, that transformation from 
when cable TV went across the country in 83 uh, with Turner Broadcasting, and then recognizing that at a very early stage and then uh, capitalizing on it and and then taking the the ball from from the old school style of wrestler at which I was also and then handing it off to to the new school to the next generation and uh I was able to help a lot because I was the old school too like with Vern Gagne Vern Brokeman and and then when we came back to the AWA, of course, we had to work with her. And uh, so I, I could transition that for the guys, where the guys were were right away. They were the new generation. They were they were the next best thing. And uh, so I, I made that transition fluid. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And to me, I, I will just, always remember war games, you know, whether it be the Great American Bash Tour 87 or, or even, you know, going into 88, I just will always remember war games, the match beyond, yeah. and you being a part of that. Dusty Nikita, yourself, and the Road Warriors against the Full Horsemen, obviously, Arn, mm-hmm. Lex, Flair, Tully, and then you throw in JJ. I will never forget. I mean, those are some of the best matches ever. Still, to me, hold up today when you go back and watch. I just still, I love going back and watching war games. Oh, that was it. That concept was so uh, original, and uh, just it just took off. It was big. That was a super summer. They uh, did outdoor stadiums and uh, everywhere. It, it was so big. The concept was so uh, different and original at that at that time. And then the the, the scaffold matches. That was another one that mm. summer. Yep. Uh, with. Uh, with Bobby Eaton and uh, Dennis Condry, yeah, and, and then Jimmy Cornette. That was a that was a, another great concept. Yeah, anytime you could mix you in there with JJ or, or Jim Cornette, I mean that was always a cool dynamic that just added to the match. Never took away, always added to it and made it better. Something as a fan, I always enjoyed the manager that can actually be the great managers and not overshadow anything, but add to it and make it even better. Right. Yeah, and I was always kind of a different manager because uh, most, you know, the uh, uh, persona of the manager is always coloring, you know, mm-hmm. and backing yep. up and, <laughs> you know, just a mouthpiece where I wasn't that way because I was a wrestler first, you know. So uh, I was like the strong manager at that time. Said 6.05 this Saturday, check out Gimmick Tree on Facebook and Facebook Live as they will be doing these virtual signings, which will be coming all the craze. Very, very cool stuff. Absolutely love it. You're going to be there. Road Warrior Animal will be there as well, so that will be a nice uh, reunion. Very uh, cool stuff. Do you have any other uh, plugs for yourself and social media? Do you get out there and do that kind of stuff? Well, you know what? Uh, when they brought me in the NXT, they set me up on a Twitter deal. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, as long as I was there, I did it a lot. Once in a while, I'd, I'll do it, just so people don't <laughs> wonder what uh, don't wonder where I am or anything. Uh, but other than that, that's about all I do. All right, with awesome. The, you know, with the uh, 
social media stuff. Okay, good stuff. Now, of course, like I mentioned, Gimmick Tree, Facebook Live. Check Precious Paul Ellering out this Saturday, 6.05 Eastern, a time that is near and dear, I'm sure, to you and a lot of old-school wrestling fans. Yep, and it'll be my birthday. That is true, and and, uh, everyone make sure you wish Precious Paul a happy birthday on Saturday as well. Yeah, it'll be fun fun to visit with everybody. Like Ernie Ladd would say, get on the phone and call somebody. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.